0: You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Well, good morning to everybody. It's great to be with you today. Uh, My name is Sean. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, I'm one of the elders and one of the pastors here at Grace, and we'll be um, studying through God's Word together today. Uh, At the beginning here, we need to mention two important things. Um, I was reminded by a Canadian friend this morning. It is, in fact, Canada Day today. So apparently it's just like Fourth of July, only they did it without the war. So go Canada. Um, But this week is Fourth of July, and so I guess I just want to say happy Independence Day. I hope you have a great time with your families. I hope that you um, are safe and just enjoy some time with family. But holidays, they always get me thinking about about friends, and also about families in particular, and I was thinking this week about um, my wife and I, and just how our relationship in, in many ways is is kind of humorous to me, because maybe like in your, inside of your marriages, opposites attract. Is that true in your marriages? A lot of them, maybe. My wife and I are just really super different people, but, but somehow, by God's grace, it, it works together. My wife is um, one of the things that's a real asset, but also it can be kind of um, annoying at times is she's super loud, just naturally. She's not even trying to be loud, she just is loud, and I'm one of those people that kind of just likes things quiet and mellow, and so um, imagine how that goes inside of the car. Um, but, but one of the things that's, that's funny to me about, about my wife and I is just our differences in, in what we like to, to watch on television. For me, if I had to pick only one channel to own, it would be, well, maybe if I turn this on, it'll work. It would be this channel, Food Network. Any other Food Network lovers out there? There has to be some here. Yeah. I love the Food Network. First of all, I like food. I like to eat. Um, I love restaurants. I worked five years in restaurants, and I just love restaurants and like to see how different restaurants work and operate and things. And so I love the Food Network. My wife, though, um, who is an exceptional cook, she's an incredible baker, um, but ironically, her favorite network is this one, ESPN. <laughs> yeah, I've told you this before. She's a, like crazy sports fan, Um, like crazy sports fan. She'll spend time before she's going to sleep at night sitting in bed reading uh, the ESPN app and watching uh, SportsCenter on ESPN at the same time because she just loves sports that much. And I like sports a lot, but just not quite like her. We're We're two contrasting people, right? Two contrasting people. And in the story that we're gonna look at today, Jesus is going to tell um, this parable about two contrasting men. And he's gonna do it that way, I think, because when we look at contrasts sitting next to one another, It's easier to see um, the realities inside of both of those those contrasting things. And so today, Jesus is going to tell this story. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18, and we're looking at at two contrasting um, men, and he's trying to illustrate this reality. What must one do to be justified before God? And more specifically, what is the posture that we should have if we want to be um, justified before God? And so before we start, before we get into that, I want to just define terms, define what we're talking about here, because sometimes inside of churches, inside of um, Christian culture, we can use words that, that have value, they have um, meaning, but, but sometimes they're kind of hard to articulate exactly what we're talking about, and justification, I think, is one of those words. Um, justification is, is, is one of those words that, in general, is just means to, to declare something as right or just, in a legal term, it would, it would be a term that would be signifying an acquittal of somebody. And so if we boil that down into a biblical language, you could, you could define it this way. Justification is God's act of removing the guilt and the penalty of sin, and at the same time making a sinner righteous through Christ's atoning sacrifice. So when we talk about justification this morning, that's what we're talking about, is this very thing here. The, the, the thing about justification, though, is, is how we become justified. The, the story we're going to look at today is, is really rather a component of justification. It's not exactly the full story of how we become justified. In in doing sermon prep, I, I read a lot and read a lot of commentaries and, and sometimes other pastors' sermons on the same text to kind of get an idea of, of kind of where they went, if there's things I'm missing. And one of the things that John Piper um, preached when he preached this sermon to his congregation um, was the reality of this, that, that we need to read all of the Gospels and all of the things that Jesus says in the Gospels in the shadow of the cross, Because ultimately, our justification only can happen because of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and then the indwelling of his Holy Spirit into those who choose to follow him. And so what we're looking at this morning is, it's not Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's rather a component of a posture of our heart to how we become justified. I hope that's clear before we start. I hope that's clear. The other thing I want to say before we get into it is this, is that in, in an effort to get through the entire book of Luke in a relatively timely manner, the preaching team, we've, we've divided it up um, accordingly, and sometimes we skip certain sections, small sections of, of the text. We don't go literally verse by verse, and so I just want to, to make you aware of that. We are skipping a little bit forward this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. So with that said, um, let's go ahead and take a look. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. This is Jesus talking. It says, to, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. All right. We, we can't get too far um, here before we stop and just, just clarify something. Because um, it says here, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. And I, I think when I think about Grace Community Church, when I think about all of you, Um, I don't think of you as a church that is like this, really at all, in general terms. I think of us as a church that really does what our our sign out here says, Jesus followers extending grace. I'm thankful for the ways that I've seen you extend grace to this community, to each other, and also to me personally. It's a great gift to me. But sometimes I think we can all have um, hidden, even to us, um, prejudices um, and pieties in our life that we don't even know about. One of the ones that that God revealed to me years ago, um, a couple of decades ago when I was in nursing school, we had to do a a psychiatric rotation to to learn about mental illness and and mental health. And we had an option. We could go either into a a hospital ward, an inpatient hospital ward for for dealing with those kinds of issues, or we could work downtown um, with the homeless population. And so I chose to work downtown with um, the homeless population. And when I was down there with the homeless population, before I went, I honestly didn't think of myself as having any prejudices or pieties at all. I thought I treated everybody generally the same, and in fact, I think I did treat everybody the same. But when we got down there and I began to meet some of these homeless people, um, I felt like the Spirit just started doing some work in my life, and honestly, I didn't like some of the work He was doing because he was showing me things and revealing things to me about the ways that I thought about homelessness and the homeless people that I met. And I didn't like those things, and honestly, I would be embarrassed to tell, tell you some of the things that I thought about these people. And I met this gentleman who had moved down here from from Seattle. He had moved to Portland. He, he was a guy that had a job in Seattle working as a construction worker. He didn't have a, a great job. Um, he had a place to live though. Um, he had some income and he had heard through an acquaintance about a better job down here in Portland. And so he left his job. He, he spent his last dollars driving down to Portland to move to Portland. And when he got here, as sometimes the story goes, there was no job. He thought there would be and there's not a job. And this guy, that, as he's telling me this story, um, he, he's like, man, I, I didn't have anywhere to go. I, I, I don't even know really how I ended up here. This guy had no um, money, no bank account, no friends, no family, no backup, no nothing. And so this guy, he ended up homeless really through, through not much fault of his own. And I think why I was so convicted when I was talking to this guy that day is because I realized that I had all these preconceived notions about why people are homeless, I had all these things I thought about them and, and things that I thought about the way that they chose to live or didn't choose to live. And I really thought myself better than them. I really looked down on them for those things. And I realized talking to this gentleman, that's totally wrong. Man, this guy is a guy who is an image bearer of the king. So he has value, he has worth. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that when we're dealing with all people. And so my admonition to us this morning is is at first we might think this this scripture doesn't apply to me at all. In some ways, this scripture applies to every person in the room, myself included. Because I think in all of us, there are parts of our hearts, maybe even completely unknown to us, where we do things like this, where we think we're better than, where we look down on others. So um, with that said, tune in with me. Tune in. It says this, two men went up on the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I have. So Jesus starts off telling the story and he says these two guys went up to the temple to pray. The temple was built up on a hill. So geographically, they walked up the hill to the temple and they went in and they they began praying there. And both of these guys are apparently seeking God. They ultimately seem to be seeking the same thing, and that would be justification from God. And when Jesus also introduces these two main characters of his story, his whole audience would have known exactly who was the good guy and who was supposed to be the bad guy. Kind of like when we watch movies or when we read, read books, when the bad guy gets introduced, you just automatically know it, right? And, and it was no different then. And so everybody in Jesus' audience would have immediately thought, Pharisee, that's the good guy. The tax, tax collector, um, that's the bad guy. And so the first guy, um, the good guy, the Pharisee, his approach to God, to justification, is totally wrong. Take a look at what he does. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, doer, adulterers, or, or even like this tax collector over here. Ultimately, what he's doing here is he's giving um, his resume as it relates to his morality. Uh, the problem with that is, is that righteousness and justification, they're not about morality um, at all. He says, God, thank you I'm not like those other people. Thank you I'm not like this tax collector. Man, tax collectors in in Jesus' day were absolutely hated. First they were hated simply because they collected taxes and people didn't like paying their taxes. They still don't, right? Um, But they were also hated because they were uh, Jewish um, people that were working for the oppressive Roman government at the time and so they were seen as traitors to their own people. And it went even beyond that, because not just only working for them, they would also not only collect the taxes they were supposed to collect, they would also collect extra money, essentially extorting money from their own people and getting rich off of them. And so the, the tax collectors, they were, they were hated, they were, they were seen basically as about as bad as it got. And so the Pharisee, he's like, man, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Do you ever think things like that about people in your life? Do you ever think things like that about that awful coworker, who's just horrible all the time and you think, man, I'm so glad I'm not like her? Or that terrible neighbor down the street that you just can't stand and you think, man, I'm so glad I'm not like him. Or maybe it's a little more personal. Maybe it's a little closer to home. Maybe it's, man, I'm so glad I'm not like my brother or my sister or my mother. The Pharisee is ultimately saying that he's... He's not like this guy. He's saying, I'm financially honest. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't lie to people. He's ultimately a good guy. But the list that he gives is all about his own morality. And righteousness and justification can't be found inside of our own morality. It also can't be found inside of religion. Look what he does next. Verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all all that I get. This guy, um, like other um, Pharisees of his day, was incredibly devoted to the spiritual disciplines of God. They were incredibly devoted to that. And and they were so devoted to it because Judaism um, thought of sin as purely acts committed. They were things done. And so the idea of perfect obedience wasn't just possible. It was what was expected of them. And so he continues with his resume. He says I fast twice a week. Normally Pharisees would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. They were only required by the law to fast once a year on the day of atonement from sun, or excuse me sunset to sunset on the day of atonement. They would fast for 124 hour period. This guy gets an extra 103 in every single year. Cuz he's that religious. Aside from that, he he says he gives a tenth of all that he had. Pharisees were only required to tithe on animals and grain and wine and oil, but this guy gave a tenth of everything that he got. This is what Jesus was talking about when he is condemning the Pharisees for tithing out of their spice cabinet. They would literally go into their spice cabinet, one scoop of granulated garlic for God and nine for me. That's how they did it. These guys were so devoted to this. And so my question is, what's wrong with this guy's approach? I mean, shouldn't not stealing... Having financial integrity, fidelity inside of your marriage, giving generously and choosing to fast as a devotion to God, shouldn't those be good things? Yeah, they they should be. In fact, they they are good things. But the problem is is righteousness and justification aren't about those things. Um, This guy was morally upright, religiously devout, um, and that is what he trusted in for his righteousness and his justification before God. And he was completely wrong. The reality is, is that all of us are going to stand um, before our great God one day. We will all stand before him like inside of a courtroom. And we will stand before this great and glorious and holy and altogether good and all-knowing powerful God. And if we were there at this very moment and he said to you, he said, give me the evidence for the righteousness in your life. If you went to anything besides Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, then you've missed it altogether. If the first thing that you think of is things that you do that are good, or things that you don't do that are bad, you've missed it. That's what this text is saying, that that you've missed it. Um, John Piper at this point said that these guys were dead wrong, and I think he used the word dead on purpose there. Because the the story we're seeing is setting up this contrast between this Pharisee and this tax collector. And the Pharisee, he's only looking to himself. He's looking inside of himself for for this morality, um, for this religion to be his righteousness, to be his justification. And we see it all the time, even in our day. Sometimes what people do by looking down on others, they look around and see what they can find around them in people that would be less righteous in their minds to make themselves look more righteous. And so they prop themselves up. On somebody that's worse than they are. It's, it's not a good spot to be. The other thing that, that we're doing that is so rampant in our culture is people are not only declaring themselves to be righteous, they're also demanding to define how righteousness looks in the first place. And things that used to be whispered in secret and only in the dark where no one can hear them are now being um, screamed from the street corners literally sometimes. People stand on the street corners inside of the, the internet. This is what Jay talked about last week. And they claim things and they say things, all kinds of things, that anybody with an open Bible in their hand could say, that's sin. God doesn't want us to live that way. And those people are saying, throw the Bible in the trash because I don't want to hear it. I'll define what's good. I'll define what's true. I'll define what's right. It's tragic. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. Because what's happening is all of these traps are being laid all around our culture and people are stepping into them and they're getting duped into believing things that just aren't true and it's leading them to hell. It's leading them away from God. It's, it's horrifying. And so my question for you this morning is where are you seeking justification? Are you somebody that thinks through the people in your life that you think you're better than and so, at least I'm not like that guy. Are you somebody that, that would think of yourself as a good person um, because of the things that you do and the things that you don't do? And maybe you've never thought about the fact that maybe you've got hidden prejudices in your life. And Maybe this is, this is something that, that, that like me, you're going to have to deal with. I would encourage you to just ask the Holy Spirit of God, God, show me where those are inside of, inside of my heart and life. Show me where the things are that I need to change. Because ultimately, if... If if our resume, if our morality, if that's where we go for our righteousness or our justification, like Piper said, we're dead wrong in that. We need to only go um, to Jesus because He alone defines and determines what righteousness is about, and He's going to define that and teach us that next. Good um, verse thirteen. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, "God, have mercy on me, a sinner." Do you see the contrast here? The Pharisee is proud, he's he's praying and he's like, God, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. And this guy's off by himself, his head's down, he can't even look up to heaven. This guy's so um, beat down by his life that he's made for himself. He's so filled with grief and guilt and shame that he just doesn't know what to do. Have you ever been there before? Some of you are there right at this very moment, right now. Some of you, like the tax collector, like the prodigal son we looked at a few weeks ago, some of you have come to the the end of yourself and you don't know what to do. Because when you lay in bed at night and the thoughts that go through your head about the kind of person you are, the kind of person you're not, when you stand in the mirror and have to engage with the person you look at, and you know you're not righteous because you're perpetually living in a sinful pattern that's just got a hold of you, my friends, I have good news for you. The good news is this, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there because righteousness and justification are not based on morality or how good you've been or about religion. Ultimately, they're all about Jesus. They're all about his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and then the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. So cry out to him like this tax collector did. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This guy's just crying out to God. He's, he's, he's looking for anything that can help him. Anything that can help him. And sometimes I think that, that, that inside of our minds, we think we need to have some exact right words to say to God. We don't. Prayer is just about talking to God. It's a conversation with God. Um, my friend Billy Cash had some students that he was discipling some years back and he had this one student that would continue to come back and talk to him and talk to him and talk to him and one day she's sitting in his office and she just says, you know, I, I don't know what to do, man. I need help. And he said, yeah, you do. She said, what should I do? And he said, I think you need to pray. And so she said, well, what should I say? And he said, I'm not gonna pray for you. Tell, tell God whatever you want. Tell him what you need from him. And so this young woman sat there and all she said was, Jesus, I'm sorry. Please save me. That's all it took. That's exactly what he did. He, he began to work in her life. He began to, to pour into her life. Because what this, what this young woman was doing was offering up Jesus for her righteousness. Righteousness. She recognized, I can't find this anywhere else. She was offering up Jesus for her righteousness because she knows that's the only place she can get it. And so my encouragement this morning, my admonition, I'm pleading with you. If you have found yourself like the tax collector at the end of yourself, at the end of your rope, and you know you've been just weighed down by sin, your, your, your whole life is wrecked because there's these perpetual patterns in your life that you can't get free from. My friends, today is a day to drag them out of the dark and into the light. Please don't wait. I know some of the objections you have because I've had them myself. Some of the objections say things like, Sean, you don't understand, man. You don't, you don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what I've done. The answer is, you're right, I don't know what you've done, but I do know what I've done, and I know the kind of things I've been redeemed from, and I know the great God and Savior that we have. Some of you might be thinking, man, I don't know, you don't know what's been done to me. My wounds are so deep, and they're caused by other people's sin and other people's things in my life. And you're right. I don't know exactly what's been done to you, but I do know that we have a God who is slow to anger and quick to love. We have a God that wants to rescue and redeem you and heal you and forgive you of your sin and also bind your broken heart and soothe the wounds and heal you from those things that are so painful. We have a God who is all about that. And it's not just where we go that is to Jesus or who we go to, to Jesus and the cross, but it's also the posture of our heart that we need to be looking at. And Jesus talks about this next. He says, I tell you that this man, that's the tax tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Um, Ultimately, what he's saying here is that that righteousness and justification are about Jesus and they're about coming to him with humility. We see this picture set up here of of a couple of different kinds of people. We see tax collectors and then we see babies. Babies you guys ever been around a baby? Yeah. Um, In my paid job, I I work as a nurse in the neonatal ICU, so I take care of babies for a living. Um, Aside from cute smiles and loud noises and body fluids and all of those things, what does a baby bring to the table as far as what do they have to offer? Really nothing, right? I know it sounds kind of harsh, but it's true. I just mean it in this sense. A baby can't do anything for themselves. They can't help in any way. In fact, they are 100% completely dependent on somebody else to do for them what it is that they need. And that's the point that, that Jesus is teaching us here, is that if we want to be declared justified and right before a perfect and holy and sinless God, then we must come to him with a humble heart and receive his free gift. We must come to him with no um, resume touting about our morality or our religious devotion or anything like that. We must come to him just as we are and then let his Holy Spirit work in our lives in such a way that it begins to change who we are and makes us into something entirely new. My friends, if you, if we, will put our hope in that and that alone, then you will be justified. You will be. It's a promise. Um... We need to be coming with humility because when we do, I think it does two things. The first thing it does, we've already talked about, it puts us in a posture of being able and ready to receive the gift that Christ wants to give to us all. That's the first thing. The second thing it does is that when we when we put our hope and our 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 faith in Christ and we receive His mercy, it changes something in our hearts and lives. It's the reason why I cry every single time I preach. Okay? I'm getting over it where I don't feel so weird about it anymore. Because here's the thing the reason I cry is because I know the kind of person that I am outside of Christ. I know the things that I've been redeemed from. God is a God who has forgiven my sin, He healed my broken marriage, He continues to heal wounds in me from when I was a child. He continues to heal wounds in other people that I know I've inflicted because of my own sin. That's the kind of God we serve. His compassion, his grace, his mercy has changed something in me. I used to be a person that looked down on everyone around me. I'm not kidding, I was a jerk. I thought I I was better than everybody. And God's changed that. He's done something in my heart and life. He'll do something in your heart and life. In fact, I know he's done it in lots of your lives. The mercy of Christ, when we intersect with that, changes something. And maybe this morning, you're on the other side of it. Maybe this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit working, maybe um, you're realizing that there are parts of your heart that do have prejudices, parts of your heart that do look down on others. And my encouragement to you is to come to Jesus, to ask him to forgive you, to ask him to reveal to you, to ask him to be honest with you, and to help you see that that's not the way that you, you can be or should be living. Because we're called to something... We're called to something different. We're called to come to God. And so ultimately, um, that's why we celebrate communion. I'll invite the worship team at this point and the the elders, ministry leaders, please come forward to help serve. But we celebrate communion because what we're doing in communion is we're looking back on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We're remembering the things that he did on the cross for us. We're remembering all that that means for our lives we're celebrating what he's doing right now in our own hearts and lives, and we're also looking forward to that great and glorious day where one day he will come back for us. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you with this. Wherever you're at, whether you're, you're finding yourself this morning overwhelmed with your own sin, whether you're finding yourself overwhelmed with the love and the grace of God the Father, Wherever you're at, I want to invite you this morning to come to celebrate communion together as a family. The, the bread that we eat represents his broken body on the cross. The, the blood that we drink represents his blood spilled on the cross for us. So think about those things when, when we're taking them. And, and take them back to your seat. We'll hold them together. I'll come back up and we'll take them all together as a family. Let's, let's worship this morning. The prophet Isaiah was looking forward to a Messiah that would come. And in the 53rd chapter, he said this. He said, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. When we eat and drink together, that's what we're remembering, his wounds, and because of those we can be healed. Let's, let's do this together. let's pray. Father, I thank you for the realities of the cross and an empty tomb. Father, I pray that you would, um, God, just remind us of that. We're reminded again this morning celebrating communion. I pray you continue to remind us of that um, moment by moment, day by day. And Lord, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you for how it really changes everything about us and so, Father, I pray that that grace would, would not stay inside of us, but would overflow um, around and outside of us into every place we go, bringing the kingdom of God here now. And, Father, I just thank you for your goodness. Thank you for um, this morning. I pray, God, that you're glorified. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of our traditions here at Grace is when we celebrate communion corporately like this, we take a special offering, our fellowship offering, and this offering, um, again, goes right out the doors um, to people in need. It it puts food on tables, it it fixes cars, it pays for rent, it does good work for the people right around us that that are in need, so I'd encourage you to give generously to this. If you're new or newer to grace, I invite you to come to our time called next. It's just out the door to my left, your right in room 107. So it's time to meet some of our, our people from grace here and get plugged in. But I want to leave you with, with this. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church at Ephesus, chapter 4, he says this As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He says to be completely humble and be gentle and be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is just one body, one Spirit, just as you who were called to one hope when you were called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I love you, Grace. Have a great week.